Great start to our service, isn't it? <laughs> to join our voices in worship and praise to our Lord and such victory, such a song of victory. Thank you to our music team who comes up and leads us in worship and allows us to join together in that way. Let's go ahead and pray before we look into God's word at this point. Father, we thank you for just the joy in our hearts that can sing to you. We thank you for the victory that you have given us and that you yourself uh, took, were, were made happen, Lord. And so now we will ask you to help us look into your word and gain from it and become better people and those who can share the good news. And Lord, we just thank you for this wonderful time. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'd like you to uh, imagine for a moment what it may have been like to be one of the Jewish religious leaders back in the days of Jesus. And I'm talking about the ones that we read mostly about in the Gospels, the ones that didn't like Jesus. They seemed to have everything lined out and organized just the way that they wanted it the way that benefited them. You might say that they knew how to work the system. And even though they had to answer to Rome, ultimately, you know, Rome ruled over Jerusalem and a lot, big part of the, 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 that part of the world. Even though they had to answer to Rome, ultimately, it didn't seem to slow them down a whole lot from getting what they wanted to get especially when you look into the matter of they were able to convince the Romans to crucify Jesus because Jews weren't allowed to execute criminals, but they were able to execute Jesus with the most horrible type of punishment and execution when the Romans didn't even think he was guilty. And it also seemed that these religious leaders lived very comfortable lifestyles comparatively to, you know, the average person, the average Jewish person. They also set the standards for who was worthy of God's love and who wasn't. And they determined who was a sinner and who was righteous, so it seemed. And then they added their minutiae to the law of God and they used it to watch over people carefully and condemn people to police people. So imagine what it must have felt like to be a well-established, very authoritative Jewish religious leader and then see this Jesus person walk on the scene. And he starts teaching people in the temple and out, you know, along the seacoast or whatever, wherever he was, he would teach people. And he had a group of disciples. And the religious leaders, I'm sure at first, and we know that they did, who is this guy? What credentials does he have? Where did he come from? What is he trying to do? Who gave him this authority? So, you know, we had this major tension between the old guard who worked so hard in exalting themselves and giving themselves such a high image in the community 
we had the tension between them and Jesus who came to reveal the Father. And as we know, Jesus put up a good fight, but his enemies finally got things back under their control. They were able to take him to trial. They were able to get him condemned. Of course, they had to use underhanded means to do that. But they finally got the Roman authorities to condemn Jesus to death. And it looks, by all indications, that the the religious leaders had won the battle. And you know, when you ask people on the street, you know that person on the street that everybody asks questions to? (laughs) He must be getting tired of being asked questions. But when you ask the person on the street, what do you think of Jesus? And maybe this person doesn't have much knowledge of the Bible. And many people will think, well, he was a good person, and he went around and did good and helped people, but he just got on the wrong side of bad people. He was just overpowered by the ones who were, you know, the authorities and who had the power. The, st- the, the deck was stacked against him, and he, he was just this unfortunate victim of horrible circumstances. And you know, when you look at it from a distance, you look at it on the surface, that's kind of what it seems to be. But when you look into the Word of God, it doesn't explain it quite that way, does it? And I want to look at John 19 at the beginning here, in verses 38 or 28 through 30 at first. And this is after Jesus had been hanging on the cross. You know, he hung on the cross for about six hours. And this is right at the end of the six hours. And after he's gone through all of the, the punishment, the, the torture, the excruciating pain. And it says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished... And so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You know, the way this reads, it almost seems like Jesus wasn't being taken in by somebody else's plan. It seems like he was following his own plan, knowing that everything had now been finished, accomplished. It seems like he was following his father's plan. Everything now was complete. Mission had been accomplished. And so that scripture would be fulfilled. You mean everything his enemies did to him was actually according to the scriptures? It was. And they had no idea, did they? They were just being played by God. 
because of their evil intentions. But I thought Jesus' enemies were the ones calling the shots. Well, that's the way God works. He takes all things, puts them together, and brings them out to his perfect plan. Even evil intentions. God is not evil. There's no evil within him or near him. But he uses it all in his brilliant providence to bring out his intentions and his, his results. And not only is it saying that, but it says that Jesus knew that. Knowing that everything had now been finished, Jesus himself knew that as he was hanging on the cross. He was aware of that. And he said, I am thirsty. Now, you know, Jesus was probably actually physically thirsty from all that he went through, and they gave him a little bit of a, a, a drink there from a sponge. But Jesus was saying something else. He was saying, you know, Jesus was, he, he was the source of living water. Remember when he talked to the woman at the well, and he said, if you would have known who asked you for a drink, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water that wells up to eternity. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, eternal life. But here is this source of all living water, and he says, I am thirsty. Jesus is about to give over his life, his eternal life. He is the source of eternal life, and he's about to hand it over to the Father, experiencing true death. I am thirsty. The water is gone. You know, it says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, I am thirsty. This is it. This is the end. And then he says, it is finished. After they gave him the sponge. It is finished. And he finally gives up his spirit over to God. But he gives it up in victory, doesn't he? I mean, he's completed his mission, knowing that all things were completed. He says he's thirsty, and he gives up his spirit to God. Now, here's the next matter. <clears throat> but, you know, on the surface, it looks like he's lost. And everybody's mocking him and jeering at him and telling him to come down from the cross. And at that very same time, he is, you know, claiming complete victory over sin and death. It shows you how much we don't know, we can't see from an earthly perspective. We have to have God's answer and God's perspective. But here's the next matter in this thing where, you know, we wonder if it's man controlling it or God controlling it. The Jewish leaders did not want the bodies hanging on the cross overnight. The next day was Sabbath, and the law says you shouldn't have criminals hanging on the cross overnight, and especially on the Sabbath. So they asked Pilate to take the bodies down. And they wanted to make sure where the body was taken to because they thought that maybe his disciples would come and try to steal the body. 
But in order to take the bodies down, they had to be dead. And at this point, in that crucifixion, those three, three on the crosses, they wouldn't be dead yet. At this time, they would not be dead. They hadn't had time to die through that crucifixion. So in order to take the bodies down, they had to kill them. And many of you know that the way they, they would kill them was they would go and break the legs of the criminals because during their time of crucifixion, they would be pushing themselves up so they could breathe. And then when they, their, their legs got tired, they'd let down, and then they couldn't breathe. And then they'd push up to breathe again. They would do that all the time they were on the cross. And when they broke their legs, they would suffocate. They couldn't push up anymore. But when they got to Jesus, surprisingly, he was already dead. They were very surprised at that. So they didn't break his legs. A soldier speared him in the side, and it said blood and water came out. There's the pericardium around the heart, the sack of water, and then there's the heart, the blood, the water and blood comes out, signifying or, or verifying that Jesus was truly dead. And here again, we have the scriptures being fulfilled because it said that not a bone would be broken in the Old Testament. And the Passover lamb, you weren't to break the bones. So here again, scripture is fulfilled, not by the plan of those who were doing this evil act, but by God. So far from being a helpless victim of his circumstances, Jesus and his father are following the father's script that will accomplish eternal salvation for all who will turn to Jesus Christ in repentance for forgiveness of sins. He's accomplishing salvation for the whole world and he's using these evil men with evil intentions in order to be part of the plan because he had to die for our sins. Only death could bring forgiveness for our sins. And then you have the burial of Jesus. And this is another part of the amazing story. Often bodies were just, with the Roman, the way they did it, often bodies were just left on the cross to rot, or they would dump them into this mass grave. But whatever way they did it, it was totally disrespect for the person person's body. And of course the Jewish leaders were worried that some of the disciples would come and try to claim the body. <clears throat> now those disciples probably wouldn't try to come and claim the body because if they ran away from him while he was living, you think they were going to go back and try to get the body while he was dead and risk their lives that way? So they're not going to let the disciples take the body. And the disciples probably weren't going to come to get the body. But what happens? Two secret disciples that were Jewish religious leaders. And they let them have the body. I'm sure if the disciples came, they wouldn't have let them have the body because that's what the Jewish religious leaders warned them about. They're going to try to come and take the body and say that he rose. But two Jewish Religious authorities came and asked for the body. 
You know, a Pharisee named Nicodemus who went to Jesus at night to ask him questions. And then uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who was part of the high council, the Sanhedrin. They came and they were given permission to take the body of Jesus. And then here's another matter. They took the body of Jesus and they gave it a royal burial. 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. That's what you done for a king. So just think, after the Romans and after the people were mocking him and, and you know, spitting on him and beating him and treating him so awful the way that they treated him. And now, in his burial, he gets the burial of a king. Because, well, and he's, been, he's laid in a new tomb, too. Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, who was a wealthy man. So in spite of the disrespect and hatred with which Jesus was treated by his enemies and by the Romans, his body, which became the sacrificial lamb, which would take away the sins of the world, God's precious body, it was treated with the reverence given to royalty. And that shows me another instance of how when mankind does something in his way, which isn't the right way, God can take it and make it good. He has ways of working things out to their proper end, even in spite of circumstances that are horribly wrong and evil. So when we see evil and horrible wrong going on around us in our society or around the world, we know that God is the one who brings about final justice. And he can take any horrible circumstance, nothing more horrible than his son being beaten and mocked and, and crucified on a cross, but now has been placed in the tomb as, a, as an act of what you do for a king. And now every spiritual requirement has been satisfied up to this point. And Jesus has paid the awful penalty for sin in order to bring God's redemption for sin to us. And so at this point, I'd like to ask the worship team to come again and sing a song of praise to the Lord for his sacrificial love. <laughs> 